Are you ready to talk about wrestling for the better part of an hour? Oh, man. Who wouldn't be? I mean, if if we're doing this podcast and we're not ready for an hour's worth of men in tight, tight tights, I mean, what are we even doing here? You got a fair point? (laughs) (laughs) Well, the big question is whether or not we leave that in or cut it out as the intro to this podcast. We'll find out one way or another. As I say, welcome, everybody, to another edition of the second Turnbuckle Podcast, your hopefully favorite weekly dive into wrestling of the current times and specifically wrestling of the past as this uh, show has turned into, which on both accounts, Mr. Crash Andrews, I would say some interesting talking points this week, both past and present. Well, Toogie24, it's, you know what, going back to, um, Going back to all the old stuff literally has been my favorite part. As much as I enjoy talking about the new stuff, and boy, do we ever have a lot to talk about this week. Mm-hmm. And in the positive as well. Um, yeah, I, I like going, going into the time machine and, and kind of reliving how I felt and where I was and, and all of that stuff. It's, uh, it's uh, quite lethargic. Quite lethargic? <laughs> is, that the, is that the right word? No. <laughs> lethargic, no? Isn't lethargic a good thing? No, lethargic is when you're like exhausted and have no energy. <laughs> well, it's that too. <laughs> it can be exhausting sometimes. Cathartic. 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 There you go. Cathartic. I'm leth- I'm lethargic all the time. I'm 42. It's called being married and being a parent. I'm a dad. There you go. <laughs> So this week, as always, let's get right down to business, because like you said, we do have a lot to talk about. We have three doors in front of you, Mr. Crash Andrews. I hope, I hope you put where I think you should have put the big news coming out of the weekend at mid for obvious reasons. I didn't, and you're going to be very disappointed. God. Okay, then we're not going mid. But I, I want to talk. I want to talk what I thought should have been mid. That's what I want to talk about. I don't care. I'm going to break all the walls down, and we're going to go that one first. In the words of Chris Jericho's theme music, let's break those walls down. Break those all doors right. down, and, and let's, let's just get to it. Let's talk MJF. Let's talk about some AEW, because I have been waiting to talk about this pay-per-view with you for the past couple days. I think we were very close to doing a night of review Yet again, and maybe we should have, although it's kind of nice that our only night of review so far has been uh, brawl out as it has been deemed. <laughs> it's probably Before... better that we, we left it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Before we talk about full gear, first and foremost, did you catch any of last week's dynamite highlighted by the return of a of a legend? I am drawing a blank. Again, did I'm you see very lethargic? The one and the only Paul White returning as Captain. Oh, Captain Insano. Insano. Uh, in the uh, yeah, in the uh, in the acclaimed uh, mm-hmm. music video. You know what? I'm back in. Can I want to talk about the music video because I didn't really watch it, but I love the idea of it for those guys. But then I'm like. Didn't really work in the '90s. Didn't really work in the 2000s. Like anytime music videos happen. It's kind of a really bad shtick. 
but because it's the acclaimed, I'm going to give him a pass. Because Paul White showed up as Captain Insano, you got to give him a pass. I, I love everything that the acclaimed is doing mm-hmm. right now. So um, as as much as like it's kind of cringeworthy, uh, you know what? I'll, I'll go with it. It's a good time. It's a good time. Uh, wanted to mention that and wanted to mention the other big thing in regards to, well, I guess the other, yeah, we can talk about the other one uh, as uh, part of like the pay-per-view. Uh, but the new trailer that dropped, we still don't yes. have a release date, but the new trailer for the Fight Forever video game with brand new cover art sans uh, Voldemort number one. <laughs> no, uh, is he? No, no. Let's be no, honest. He's, one he's guy like Voldemort top spot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's just a douche. He's not. <laughs> he's he doesn't take top spot here. But Fair. can, uh, can uh, proceed. What do you think of the trailer? Because I watched it a couple of times, and it looks like everything that I want that game to be. A lot of people are on the side of like, oh, it just it feels outdated. Like, dude, if this is like essentially a No Mercy clone, I am perfectly fine with that because there have not been wrestling games in a couple of eras now that have captured me like that. I don't think there's been a wrestling game that's captured my attention and held it since the early 2000s, basically. Like, it's... I think, yeah, where where AEW has been winning is in the nostalgia feel, if -hmm. that makes sense. Like, uh, building new stars but complimenting them with guys like Sting. I'll throw Jeff Jarrett out there because I was actually somewhat impressed with the match he was be able to, it was able to put together. Um, you've got Daddy Ass elevating uh, the acclaimed. You know, stuff like that. that it, but it has that old school feel. It feels like uh, the, the better eras of wrestling. So if they're going to create... No Mercy 2, 20, 30 years later. I'm all for it. And that's what it sounds like it's going to be. The moveset and, and the buttons and all that stuff. Um, we're in store for a, a very entertaining video game. To answer your question, uh, and I was actually in your stream, twitch.tv slash 24 <laughs> the best stream on Twitch. Um, and uh, just the, the, the models, the... Yeah, they're not re- hyper realistic, but they got almost everything right. Like I can't even think in saying they got almost everything right. I can't even think of like the things they got wrong. But the one thing that jumps out to me is Sting looks glorious, dude. It looks amazing that character yeah. model. I'm I'm jacked for how the game looks, which is slightly scary, which is a little troublesome. I have uh, you and I have both been burned by video games because they look <laughs> fantastic. Mm-hmm. So I'm still, you know, the fact that we're hearing that it is a, a no mercy clone, the fact that we're hearing that it's it's getting game of the year before it's released. You know, people who are playing it are enjoying it. But I, I got to get it in my hands before I really just, you know, completely mark out about it. It's I'm excited for it, but. I'm I'm still skeptical. I'm still I I can't help it based on a couple of the uh the game purchases that we've made over the past call it 2-3 years. Uh sports game purchases uh directly. I think that's fair. Definitely uh, the right way to view it. it. You know, especially 
this day and age when it comes to video games, release schedule, stuff like that. The one thing I will say that's very promising about it for me is that they have pushed clearly pushed back the release date at least once, if not twice already to make sure that they're going to get it right. And yes. I appreciate that greatly as opposed to just releasing something half baked just to make a quick buck. As imagine, so many imagine pushing do. back the game of the year because it's not ready. Like it's, it's gotten <laughs> accolades already. Uh, it's it sounds like it's going to be an amazing game and you're right it's being pushed back but like you've you've already got the trophy <laughs> like you you got game of the right. year uh i can't even remember who uh who named them but at it was the end it of was the day, like the game of the convention i think like the Tokyo yeah, show or something yeah, like fighting fair. game of the convention something like that but so yeah, yeah you you've got that already but you're still holding your game back which you know what i as i said like is that positive? Yes. Is that a result of CM Punk? I would hope so, and nothing else. Uh, but at the end of the day, I'm still, still little. You know, again, got to get in my hands uh, whenever it comes out. But the fact, again, as we talked about last uh, podcast, the fact that it's day one on on Game Pass, it'll be in my hands day one. Potentially, I think there was the conflicting oh, reports right, about actually, whether or not yeah. that actually is a thing, which is the biggest goddamn bummer possible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah. I do remember reading something where that was somebody said something out of context or they couldn't back up the the uh, the report or where the, the context came from. So don't so. listen to the last podcast. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So with that, let's get into talking about Full Gear. Did you watch any of the pre-show? I will be honest. I believe the first match that I got to sit down and watch of the pay-per-view was Acclaimed versus Swerve in Our Glory. But I, I did catch up. I mean, I missed one of the biggest returns the company's ever seen. Mm -hmm. um, I'll, I'll let you go through all of it. Um, Eddie Kingston had a dream match, which it sounds like it was just two big meaty men basically yeah so the the pre-show itself you know highlighted by dan house and for the first time kind of showing the the darker side of the gimmick which was which is pretty nice i'm intrigued to see kind of what they do with that they continued to build the story of ricky starks as an underdog babyface, which is great because he's phenomenal for the role and brian cage as well you know, it wasn't all that long ago that Brian Cage, people were like, where did he go? And is he going to leave the company? And now they've gotten to work him back in. Uh, and he's had some phenomenal uh, performances as of late on multiple of their uh, shows. And then, yeah, Eddie Kingston had a ten and a half minute match against Jun Nakayama, which was just kind of emotional to watch because you knew for this guy uh, in Eddie Kingston, uh, you know, I think the guy's 40 at this point. And knowing how long he's been at it, and then he gets to have <clears throat> this match with his wrestling idol. You could tell how emotional he was because they had him cut a promo before. That was awesome. He cut a promo afterwards that looked to be very spur of the moment and off the cuff, which is very authentic Eddie Kingston. I don't understand how somebody watches what he does on a TV screen and can't love the guy. If you want to sit there and just be like, well, he's not in the best shape and I don't know if his gear is great. Sure, whatever. Everything else Eddie Kingston does and has done in AEW has been fucking phenomenal because he is 
one of the best professional wrestlers on this goddamn planet. That is not a debate or discussion, in my opinion. I muted myself to to cough earlier. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It wouldn't be a podcast without a crash technical issue. Um, I think Eddie Kingston is in line for a very talked about heavyweight run. I don't think it'll be a long one. I don't think it'll come on the heels of like a surprise or anything like that. But just Mm. where this guy was, uh, what, four or five years ago to where he is now. And and let's be honest, he's been up and down in AEW's ranks Mm -hmm. and, you know, the ladder of where he should be and everything like that. I don't see how you don't put a title on uh, Eddie Kingston. I don't see how you don't fit him in. I hate to use kind of the comparison, but he's almost your Mick Foley. He's the guy that you know isn't the guy, but if you make him the guy, it's one of the best things your company can do. Mm -hmm. He has busted his ass for AEW since given the shot. I didn't know who he was, but that day with the open challenge against Cody Rhodes uh, for the TNT title, and he walks out and he's already cutting the promo as he's walking out the tunnel. I'm sold. I'm in. I want I want whatever this guy's selling. And he's been able to. I mean, outside of the uh, outside of some of the backstage stuff, which, let's be honest, very minor in (laughs) the microcosm of AEW backstage. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm all for what I like my, my TikTok for you page seems to want to go back to his promo against CM Punk. And if you watch that promo now, holy shit, (laughs) does it speak to where we're at right now with AEW and who's still there and who most likely won't be back? I'm, I'm all for it whatever and i mean if it takes a a tag team run with ortiz to just keep them relevant and throw them a couple solos for right now but they got to find a way to get them into that heavyweight picture soon the uh, also wanted to mention on the pre-show they announced officially um i don't know if you'll have any thoughts on them uh but they announced that they did sign kanosuke takeshita uh from ddt who was a part of rampage the night before and had a stint there earlier uh phenomenal wrestler who you know somehow some way you know you you throw these guys out there especially someone where it's like okay english isn't their first language or something like that but you put him in front of an AEW crowd and he organically got over and they've brought him in full time as well so intrigued to see what happens there we could go down the whole rabbit hole debate of really another signing and stuff like that but i'm still of the opinion that stuff will sort itself out over time i don't think it's that big of a deal so what you're telling me his name isn't take shitta yes okay there yeah, I, I don't know very much, but as we've pointed out many times, I'm I'm very much North American wrestling. Yes. <laughs> the pay per view started. Can can we do a was the the other match uh across the water behind one of the doors? Uh it's it's a part of this conversation. Okay. Yeah. We'll get to that very soon. I'm I'm I yeah, as much as I say that, I'm I'm very excited about some of the other news that came out, so Pay-per-view started with the cage match. Jungle Boy Jack Perry, Luchasaurus. Fucking awesome. Yeah. This is a cage match. This is a few, a proper feud ender. 
And with respect to one of the most polarizing matches of all time that I do tend to enjoy, Brett versus Owen, SummerSlam 94, in the cage, this is a cage match. You are not trying to escape. You are trying to beat your opponents. I get how we went down that route of, oh, the heels trying to escape. What a pansy. I get how we got there. But this is just the way cage matches should be done. This was fucking awesome. The feud may have been dragged out a bit too far. I think, again, extenuating circumstances, Christian Cage getting hurt, uh, kind of put them in a weird spot where it's like, shit, what do we do? But when it came down to the match itself, fucking awesome. Fantastic cage match. And AEW, holy hell, can they deliver cage matches? They had, uh, back in 2019 or early 2020, uh, the Cody Wardlow cage match which was awesome. Uh, You had the Young Bucks and the Lucha Brothers cage match. That Mm -hmm. was the match of the fucking year. (laughs) AEW has done a phenomenal job of setting the stage for a cage match to once again be viewed as a big deal. Where, I'm sorry, WWE throughout the the mid-2000s and into the 2010s uh, completely neutered the uh, match type. I think as soon as they got rid of the blue bars, like I get the whole idea of like the the hell in the cell, but we're not talking hell in the cell here. We're talking straight up cage matches. Once they got rid of the blue bars, for some reason, it just devalued the match for me. This match, though, the the cool thing that I read about it, and I'm glad that you you were a fan of it. It makes me actually want to go back and watch this match is that uh, I read that Luchasaurus's favorite match was. I believe it was uh, Michael's Undertaker, Hell in the Cell. Mm-hmm. And they took yeah. a lot, um, not liberties, but they took a It was almost like a FTR Bret Hart match. Right. They took a lot from that and brought it into here, including uh, Jungle Boy dropping a, uh, what was perceived to be a Macho Man Randy Savage elbow drop, but the mannerisms match up to a Shawn Michaels uh, mm-hmm. elbow drop in there too, which, uh, I mean, if Luchasaurus is coming off as the Undertaker in this one and Obviously, out of the two, he's the Undertaker. Jungle Boy is is Shawn Michaels. A, a good. I I love when other companies take nods from previous companies, and I get the history of AEW does not span the history of WWE slash F, but the fact that they can, you know, this era, you wouldn't see that in the two thousands, or or very rarely would you see, um matches like that that are kind of love letters to previous matches especially outside uh outside their own walls completely agree the i mean jesus christ like uh, in terms of starting a pay-per-view the first hour of a pay-per-view these two matches can rival arguably any other pay-per-view ever in my opinion it's absurd you follow that up with death triangle and the return of the elite and yep. Kansas as their uh, <laughs> as their theme song. This match as well, you know, I agree with the take that they could probably put on an even better match, but this was fantastic. You had the fuck CM Punk chants from the crowd right at the beginning, which mm-hmm. the return yesterday on Monday of being the elite very much put that on a, on a spot you know, in the spotlight they made yes. sure that you knew those chants happened 
on Saturday night. So that was interesting in and of itself. But I thought the match was amazing because over the past couple of months, you've had this storyline of Pac, specifically with Orange Cassidy and the All-Atlantic title, of using the uh, the timekeepers, you know, the the hammer for the ring bell, using that to cheat. That's how he beat Orange Cassidy at Grand Slam in September. He went to use it again, failed. Orange Cassidy beat him for that title. And now over the past couple of weeks, the story has been, and I'll, I'll get to the story because there, there's been some crossover, but the story has been, can Pack corrupt these guys to see things his way to keep the belt? And while uh, you know Phoenix did a phenomenal job of selling it too, like he didn't really want to, but it's either you use this hammer or you get hit with the one winged angel, and you're losing the you're losing the titles. And he uses the hammer and pins Kenny Omega. The crowd completely shocked. I absolutely loved and adored this match as well. I think the only thing that I didn't like coming out of this match was the fact that it set up uh, a potential of six more matches. Mm. Like if if we went into it, it didn't seem like when we were going into this match uh, that it is now a best of seven. I don't know if that was a result of the, the hammer spot or what have you, but for some reason... Coming out of this match, now we're going to see two, three, four, uh, upwards to a possible, be- well, it's a best of seven. Um, yeah, that just kind of came out of the blue rather than, like, I think back to Voldemort versus um, Booker T, uh, their mm. TV title, best of seven. And that was phenomenal, and it was set up perfectly. Um, they had a bit of a feud, and it was like, okay, you know what? No more BS. This is a straight-up best of seven. And that's the send off is is whoever wins that title out of the seven, you know, they they move on as the champion. Whereas this one was like, mm, you know, triangle one. OK, all right. On to number two surprise, which which is very AEW. But like, don't get me wrong. Am I excited for seven more ma- or six more matches potentially with these two? Uh, absolutely. It just felt a little thrown together at the last minute. I can see both sides to that. People who are uh, frustrated and like, eh, not really all that sold on it. And people who are excited by it. I'm somewhere in the middle. You know, I I can see the uh, complaints, I would say, that that people have in regards to like, okay, seven matches. You know, because you see a series and you automatically expect it's going seven. We already know it's, you know, I mean, presumably the elite aren't getting swept. So it's at least going five. You're right. And and the only reason I would say that it wouldn't go seven is because I believe seven is on a dynamite where five or six is at one of their major shows, like a pay-per-view or one of their theme shows. I will rediscover the schedule for this bad boy if I can. There we go. Uh, So match number two is tomorrow night, Wednesday in Chicago. Then the next week is match three in Indianapolis. Then there's uh, a two week break. Just about November 30th is match three. December 14th is match number four at the winter is coming special. Then the next week in San Antonio is match five, match six the week after in Denver. But then match seven, there's another break. From December 28th to January 11th, which would be 
Dynamite at the Kia Forum, I do believe it is, in L.A. I guess that's, I guess they can make the argument that in L.A. is a big deal. Also, can, yeah. we, quickly, can we quickly mention Young Bucks and, and the Elite in Chicago tomorrow? Yeah. I'm very <laughs> intrigued to see the reaction. Because I, again, I genuinely don't know if they are going to get booed. I genuinely don't. I think there's a good chance that they don't. They will. It's going to be one of the how... more electric yeah, atmospheres that's... to listen to in a long time. I think I think it's the closest the closest we have to and I love that we bring up the uh the Survivor series uh the Montreal <laughs> situation you know I I don't see how Chicago doesn't cuz they they built CM Punk and AEW back they made sure it happened in Chicago right um and he's their prodigal son. So I, I don't see how the elite get booed. Is it going to be? I, I don't see it being 50 50. I, I think it's going to be more vocal negative mm. uh, than it would be close to a 50 50 or a let's go Cena. Cena sucks kind of uh, reaction. That's funny because I honestly think it could end up being more positive. <laughs> uh, and the only reason I bring that up, and I didn't necessarily want to touch on this too much. But like it, it's it's still such a weird situation that depending on the day, you look at your Twitter feed, and it's one day it's pro elite, and the next day it's pro CM Punk. Like right. we still don't know what went down. We know who's taking the fall, but is it like a curtain call thing because the guys are the EVP, or is it because like it's it's just so bizarre? And then you see. Um, being the elite and the fact that they stopped and made sure that everybody heard the fuck CM Punk chants mm. and you're the head of the company. Like it, it it's 100% it's on brand for the young bucks and, and the elite, but it is 100%. Okay. Uh, not a hundred percent, but it's, it's still slightly inappropriate for the head of the company to have done that regardless the situation so it's it's still such a volatile situation but i i don't see chicago being pro elite i think chicago is whatever cm punk is doing is is correct and i think that's i think we get a negative response tomorrow that said the final talking point from that particular match is as well less than 12 hours later it was announced on new japan's uh, event with stardom the crossover kenny omega will be taking on will osprey on january 4th at wrestle kingdom this is amazing <laughs> like it's been teased for a while and you would hope that it was going to happen uh this is huge for new japan who are going back to the one event format, similar to like what WrestleMania used to be. And that's how they did. And then they did the two nights. The mania started doing the two nights. Um, this is exactly what that event needed as like a, a real kickstart for new Japan themselves, trying to go into this new era of utilizing more young talent. And this is like, what would be a bigger match 
that could be made between like any company. Omega and like a Roman Reigns fantasy book type of thing. Like, yeah, but there's there's nothing there. It, it would only be it would only be AEW versus WWE, which in the past there is so much when you get AEW and the other company, it never works. It never mm. pays off the way you want it to. But the fact that you've got the old guard versus the new guard and this I'm I'm super jacked for this. I'll take anything Will Ospreay that I can get my hands on. I wish he actually was all elite. I would love to see him on a weekly basis in North America. Having mm-hmm. said that, the stuff, the promo, the pre-recorded, what it, Will Ospreay said afterwards, like this is built up so well already and all i've seen is just the one announcement at the end of the will osprey match where it's and i love how they do that too the you know the blow off of the one match and then the lights go out and Mm -hmm. chris jericho challenges (laughs) the rainmaker like it, it like new japan does that so well but the fact that we get um the guy who never left versus the guy who abandoned uh new japan is yeah. absolutely amazing so i yeah i'm i'm very very much looking forward to that because my new japan you know viewership has absolutely dropped off over the past couple of years you know pandemic had a lot to do with that the fact that they still have some crowds at some events where it's a it's a clap only crowd you know they're not allowed to make noise still because of you know japan's um restrictions that they still enforce that's kind of funny but kind of not it's <laughs> i can't fault them for it i can't right. fault them for it um you had then next probably the worst match on the card i don't even think it was necessarily that bad but jade cargill and nyla rose i was okay with it like i said it, it's was it the worst match on the show yes is that going to be amplified by the two matches that happened before so yes um but i i thought it was okay and i mean the fact is jade cargill is still, you know, and you know, I'm not saying it, it defends her from any uh, criticism. The fact that she is so new, uh, but at the end of the day, on cage match, she has 43 career matches listed. I'm still impressed by how good she is at 43 matches, and the fact that essentially all of them have been filmed matches with like no house shows, right. So I just have my expectations set to a different level. I don't know if I've got much expectation for Jade Cargill, um, only because of how they're booking her. And good honor for, I mean, the stuff you see, the promos, fantastic. Um, The stuff she does outside of the ring, like she is one of the people who does go out and promotes the brand on Mm -hmm. a regular basis. She does a fantastic job with that. She is new. Uh, I, I'm not really bought into the in-ring persona just yet, but the Goldberg slash Asuka-esque ride that they've got her on right now doesn't feel correct as far as I'm concerned. The fact that they created this title and she's held it the entire time while every other title has been switched over three or four times, like, I, I just... If you're unbeatable, and I think it's at like 30, she's at 30 some matches, 30 and 0, somewhere around there. Uh, I think it's over 40 at this point. Yeah. 
<laughs> why aren't you going for the heavyweight title? Why aren't you going for the top prize instead of the, the mid-card prize? Why wouldn't... And, and I did talk about this uh, at All Out. Why wasn't she involved in the four-way match other mm. than to protect her and to keep this streak going, which it doesn't look like it's going to go anywhere? I, it just... She... This isn't a criticism of her growth or anything like that. It just feels like it's the wrong person. Just feels like it's like it almost feels like the the male Ricky Starks. And Ricky Starks has lost some high profile matches and come out amazing on the other side. It just uh, for me, I think this is the booking is hurting her in my eyes than it is uh, what she's able to do with it. If that makes sense. Fair enough. Um, the ROH World Title match: Jericho over Danielson, Claudio, and Sammy. I... I did. This is the one that I actually started on. I think I actually started on the end of the the ladies match. But yeah, this so, was insane. Yeah, for me, this was the match where I'm like, I don't really know if this needs to be on the pay per view. Man, this delivered. This match was fucking awesome too. <laughs> Go figure. I think I the the build up between the two pairs as well, like. When are they going to turn on each other? And I loved how they didn't do it the same. Like, it it really felt like uh, Claudio and Daniel uh, Danielson, um, like, the respect they had uh, really fit their personas, and the handshake, and the not letting go, and letting the crowd go wild, and then they just beat each other up, versus, mm. like, the two snakes kind of, like, showing hints of, like, uh, you know... Showing hints of, I'm going to get you soon, or I don't like what you're doing, and then at that blowing up or whatever. Um, yeah, this this match, I'll agree with you. Like, going into it, it, it didn't feel like it was the best setup, but it absolutely delivered. It was entertaining from beginning to end. Sets up some interesting stuff down the Ring of Honor path as well, which we'll get to. Soraya over Britt Baker. I thought it was fine. And again, maybe it's just because I can kind of frame things differently. That's all I was hoping for was fine. Like it's it's Soraya's first match in five years, man. And yeah, you know, she very much went down the line of like, I'm going to show you that my neck is fine by doing her damnedest to try and break it. But. <laughs> in a safe way as possible but right. i i enjoyed it for what it was it wasn't the best match i've ever seen but it was fine and for me i was okay with that because that's all i was hoping for i was legitimately at that standpoint of like just get through the match without getting hurt please the the interesting thing coming out of this one for me was with all the concern of soraya's neck and back and all of that and it felt protected without feeling protected in that mm. sense there was one really bad spot where she dropped Britt baker on her head mm. and it to me and i don't know if you caught on to it too it almost seemed like it felt like she was worried about that because of what she went through like the rest of the match had a different vibe it wasn't too very very good professional wrestlers going at it now it was oh crap did i do something to her 
and and it really kind of brought it down a little bit. It went from something that was a really hard hitting, really physical match to a, almost a technical match or a very protected hard hitting match. And it kind of just it kind of downed it. It kind of killed it for me a little bit in the end. Samoa Joe, Wardlow and Powerhouse Hobbs. Joe wins the TNT title. And a shocker, honestly, in terms of a result, he is now the second Samoan named Joseph, who is a double champion for a major promotion on television. <laughs> How long have you been holding on to that one for? God, that was everywhere, in fairness. <laughs> it's not like I could sit there and you know, state claim for that. I like but it. But honestly, I think an interesting result. I agree, you know, with with Wardlow. It, it's another instance of AEW kind of struggling within the follow up. I don't think he's dead in the water as an act. You know, I think it'll be fine. Uh, I think it creates an interesting little direction, uh, especially too with, you know, Hobbs being involved. It was Hobbs that was the one that was, uh, you know, essentially took the fall. So I like I think, the uh, result. Solid little match. Yeah. And I, I don't think this hurt Wardlow because the finish was all Wardlow with a quick thinking Samoa Joe, the veteran jumping in and, and stealing the, the pin. Uh, right. I, I, I see nothing wrong. This doesn't hurt Wardlow at all. If anything, Agreed. it gets that mid-card title off of him and sets him up for something that we can talk about in a few minutes. Sting and Darby Allen over Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal. This was the one that you and I were very much on different sides of. Because I fucking loved this like <laughs> I've loved every Sting match that he has had in AEW. Because oh, it is I... the definition of turn your brain off, enjoy the dumb fun. Kay. And that's exactly what it was. Don't, don't spend too much time on this. But explain to me in a no disqualification how there's a legal man. Like, I get somebody has to because be pinned wrestling. in it. Right. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> I remember. So during this match, I was actually like messaging Tugi because it took like 15 minutes for them to get into the ring. The, mm. All the outside stuff was fantastic. I hate that they used the giant. I hate that he interfered. I get that in a no disqualification, it happens. It's going to happen. Um, he got involved way too much. Uh, Disagree. At the end of the day. Um, once they actually got into the ring, I was like, why are we actually having a tag team match here when like the first 15 minutes was just, just a shit show outside of the ring. And now you like legally have to tag a guy. And then you're like, well, I'm like, why is he tag? Like, it's a no disqualification. Well, you need the legal man. I'm like, why do you need the legal man? It's a no disqualification match. Like, I get the idea of turning your like this is the Transformers movie of matches. You you do have to shut your brain off and just let it happen. I mean, you've got a sixty yes. plus year old man jumping off of things again, which I will never get tired of until the one time he misses and that's the end of his career. We don't talk about that though. No, but. It, I think once it became a technical tag match, that's where it lost it for me because everything else was just phenomenal 
in this match. What they were able to put together, especially going in, you've got Sting versus, like, if it was Sting versus Jeff Jarrett in a, just a one-on-one regular match, mm. they would have lost viewers easily. I don't think those guys could have carried a, a one-on-one match, including Darby Allen and including Jay Lethal in this one was the best thing that they could have done. Make it a no disqualification made it absolutely awesome to watch. When it became a technical tag team match, then it was just like, I, I don't get it. I think, like, so for me, I, I agree. Like, you know, you want rules, you want them to be consistent. I agree with that. Um, at the same time, I did view the idea of like, okay, hey, the rules are back in effect as a way for essentially the heels to get heat. Yeah. But I see your viewpoint. I do. That's it. Just, the logic, and I get wrestling and logic never, never play nicely in the sandbox, but they went from something that was just killing it to, oh, okay, we're just having a regular tag team match now where anything could still happen. And it did. And it actually didn't really change the, oh, the, the spot with the coffin drop and the scorpion death lock or death drop awesome. was, uh, was fantastic, though. Yeah. I, that was cool. That was very cool. So I I loved this match. I mean, seeing Sting, you know, there was the the minor mistake at the end, whatever. Um, seeing Sting doing what he's doing now is amazing and sets the stage for inevitably a proper send off as essentially. You know, all the talk of the pillars within the company, like you look at the start, who has Jungle Boy been paired with Christian and essentially, you know, both off screen and on taking from that person to further themselves in terms of what they do. Same thing with Darby Allen and Sting. This was the first time that Darby has done the Sting no sell and it got a huge fucking reaction and I loved it. Yeah. And I get that people don't want, you know, this company to necessarily be immediately connected or associated with TNA wrestling in any way. And it was Sting and Jared at the start got a TNA chant because of course it did. But <laughs> I like, I'm sorry. Like I have fully embraced Jeff Jarrett's role of just like he, he Twinkies and the cockroaches will survive the nuclear apocalypse. Jeff Jarrett <laughs> will never go the fuck away. And I've decided to embrace it instead of rebel against it. I, the the great thing about this too is you see the payoffs. Mm. You see like we're seeing it now with Christian and Jungle Boy. There has like Sting can't just go off into the sunset without a uh program with Darby Allen. Right. It's gonna happen. And the best thing that can happen here is Darby Allen goes over on Sting mm-hmm. in the end. Maybe maybe not the la or maybe like this can only prove positive for Darby Allen except for maybe that last moment, like give Sting his last moment, even if it's a loss and in, in, in the middle of the ring and he gets to walk out on his own terms or, or what have you. But um, yeah, it's, it just there, this has been needed in wrestling for so long of like the passing of the torch and not yeah. from the big guy to the next big guy, but what AEW is doing with these big guys, like even look at daddy ass and the acclaimed again. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, pairing them up and and letting these young guys see it from a older successful viewpoint uh, can only be 
positive for the company going forward. Yeah, WWE, not to make it an AEW versus WWE thing, but it's just a fact. Like, when is the last time they ever attempted to utilize the veteran, uh, the legends like this and this effectively? Ric Flair in The Miz. <laughs> when, sure. When Rick I don't Flair remember gave, that. Take your, I'll take your word for it. Rick, and Ric Flair gave The Miz the figure four leg lock like he oh, gave his to Oh, God, yeah. Or, uh, oh... Uh, what's his name? Uh, Fred Rosser, but his whatever his real Aaron name Young. was, Bob Backlund. Aaron Young, and Bob mm. Backlund. <laughs> like, like if if Bret Hart came back full time and was that support for the Hart Foundation, I think Harry Smith and I mean, obviously, what happened to TJ it sucked, but yeah, like they would have had a bigger bump than the one time he walked down to the ring, like. <laughs> Right. I, I have always thought, too, you you build younger stars through your older stars. You your mm-hmm. established builds young. You only get that one flash in the pan that doesn't need that, like the John Cena's, like the Rock. But even Rock got paired up with Ron Simmons. You know, yeah, like and I mean, John Cena immediately out there with with Randy with Orton. Kurt Angle. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. With Kurt Angle. Excuse me. I was thinking of uh, I was thinking of Randy. I was going to mention Randy Orton and like the, the legend killer stuff that happened, too. Right. Uh, you know, Randy Orton doesn't become the superstar that he does without McFoley. Or Triple H as well. That too. In Directly, yeah, he and Flair. Look at Evolution and what happened with, you know, you've got Flair and Triple H building Batista and Randy Orton. You need your old guys to carry your young guys, and that's how you see who's going to be your next star. And mm-hmm. as much as I love those, like, those storylines where it's the four guys and each piece moves in and out, Sooner or later, you got to move that young piece in there and let them. I've always thought, too, if they split the brand, uh, they split the roster where the young guys versus the old guys. I think that would go over so well. I think the what was it? The natural born thrillers did just didn't have the right environment or the right um, enough time for that storyline to really become something. Didn't help that Vince Russo was at the helm of that one. This is true. (laughs) So I love that. Jamie Hayter beating Tony Storm for the women's title. Fucking awesome match. Mm-hmm. The right, the right decision. Yep. Man, no complaints about this either. Like, so, so happy that they made this call. I, I think I said to you, like, Tony Storm is phenomenal. Yes. But it's very obvious, like, just in terms of crowd reaction, it's not quite there. And that division needs its most popular talents leading the way and who is getting the best reaction of any woman on the show. It is Jamie Hader by a fucking Usain Bolt sprint yep. amount of distance. Like it's, it's not even close. This was the right call. And yes, it was a rather uh, overbooked finish, but in a sense, I like that they did as many false finishes as they did. Because by the end, the crowd was fucking into it. Like, it was obvious yep. at that point in the show, the crowd was a little bit tired. By the end of that match, the crowd's there for it. The crowd's turning on it because they think they're going to make Tony Storm go full John Cena and overcome everything to win it. I thought this match, the the ring work, the booking of it, the result, fucking home run for AEW. And one of the premier women's matches that the company has had in their short history. I don't think this match gets as big as reaction as it did 
had we not experienced uh, and I, I hate that I keep using the acclaimed, but the acclaimed versus Swerve in Our Glory won. Mm. Where you knew what the result should have been and it didn't pay off. And all the false yes. finishes felt like they were going to do it again. And all I could think in my head was was you talking about, you know, calling the audible. Mm-hmm. So if this was the plan all along, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant how they booked this match. Um, but it did have that sense of Tony Storm going over. I, I'm pretty sure I messaged you about this as it was going on. The fact that Britt Baker was excited and then didn't turn kind of bothered me a little bit. I get mm. that there's, there can be more coming down the line, but that, that kind of left me with a bad taste with Britt Baker's character and who she is. And, you know, she was excited for somebody else to win her title. So I, I think I'm excited point, to see what though. they do. I, I'm excited to see what they do with this going forward. Man, I wouldn't be surprised if if she ends up giving Jamie Hayter the Triple H Batista or Triple H Orton thumbs down. Yep, I wouldn't be surprised. Like, how dare you win my title? Yep, I, I think that's exactly where they're gonna go. And like you said, like the idea of them pulling the trigger when they did is perfect because you know for a while it was certainly looking like oh Jamie Hayter's just gonna be out of the title picture and then they're just gonna feud with Britt and they took away the Britt feud. It's just, you know, credit where it's due. People complained about the booking of the women's division. And I thought, you know, while you could talk about the match quality for the first two, the bottom line is there were three matches on this show for the women. They were given time. They were given story. You got to give credit where it's due at that point. Mm -hmm. Uh, There will always be the people who try to, you know, further nitpick from there but for all those complaints i feel like they have gotten things on track in that regard so i got zero argument i think i don't think any of the matches did anything uh to bring the division down any as we've seen in the past couple pay-per-views the acclaimed do in fact retain their tag titles over swerve in our glory the end of that tag team as you know, you finally kind of have the blow up the right result with the acclaimed winning. Mm-hmm. Holy shit is swerve. One of the best heels in the wrestling business right now. 100%. He's amazing. He is the snake. He is so slimy. Like, and there's, I, it's almost un- indescribable how he just slithers. He's, He's the guy from Monsters, Inc. He's just <laughs> like, he's just, he just, when you look at him, you're just, you just want to punch him in the face and not because you don't like him because like everything he's doing, he's doing it perfectly. It's, he's doing amazing work right now. I'm excited to see where they go with him because you talk about what is it? January 4th. They have a dynamite in Seattle. Danielson's going to be a huge part of that card. Right. Darby has ties to the area. Swerve has ties to the area. I think all three of them are going to be in very big spotlight matches uh, for their Seattle debut. So I don't think, you know, I, I don't think anything, uh, anything bad is going to happen to Swerve at this point in terms of like, oh, they're going to de-elevate him after he's done with Keith Lee. I'm very excited. Then the matches that we're going to get mm-hmm. between those two. Mm-hmm. Come on. Mm-hmm. So 
that only adds to the excitement. And then there's the main event of MJF winning the AEW world title over John Moxley, thanks to the help of one William Regal, as they were laying on kind of thick, but it was the right choice. Were you surprised at like the 95 to 5, if that, crowd split in favor of MJF? It was an no. MJF heavy crowd. No, because they've they've brewed this match. They've brewed this championship perfectly. Um, outside of the outside of the missing MJF, like sending or I, whatever it was. I don't know if they sent him home or if he went home. You know, like there was the contract issues and everything like that. Uh, him winning uh, the all out. Uh, ladder match, the uh, mm-hmm. the chip, um, just everything they've done with this, and the fact that they've they've made him made him be the antihero. They've made him be, for lack of a better term, he is Stone Cold Steve Austin light. He's the light mm. beer to Stone Cold Steve Austin, which that is not a negative. They're letting him be the character that he is, but they're also letting him be. Um, what the fans want. And the fans are just eating it all up. And, and I'm one of them. I love everything that he's doing. Um, did I, you know, I kind of questioned the motorboating down, you know, on the <laughs> way down to the ring. And, but, but to be fair, he asked for consent. <laughs> that's he didn't our just champion. jump in there. Yeah, that's, that's your champion right there. I, I didn't, and you know what? There's not many people in there that can walk in as one of the biggest faces in the company and realize he is now the biggest heel in the company, quite like Moxley. I think having him in that mm-hmm. position, he the, the, there's not very many in the company that they have that would be able to handle that. And I think you could list maybe Daniel. Uh, it's the, it's the, the leadership that they've got right now in Danielson and, and Jericho. And Moxley. I, I don't know you have anybody else who can really take that energy and just turn around on it and just use it perfectly. And I think Moxley did an, an amazing job of it. And and he's now walking out still as a face due to that that finish. Yeah. So, you know, for Moxley, presumably, ends up getting that vacation that he was owed. And then when he comes back, we see what happens with him. Because in the meantime, we don't know what's going to happen in regards to the Blackpool Combat Club. So that's an intrigue coming out of this. MJF's first challenger, likely Ethan Page, maybe even a Ricky Starks, depending on just where they want to have MJF and that heel-face divide. There's like This was the fantastic pay-per-view that they needed in terms of writing the ship out of all of that nonsense, you have most of your incredibly over acts as your current champions. Mm-hmm. You have numerous different directions that have been established. A lot of storylines in a way that have been wrapped up. Like They have so much good going for them now. And yeah, there's still some stuff to sort out. The bloated roster, Ring of Honor's present, stuff like that. But for the most part, this was the home run I think that they needed to really kind of get that bad taste out of everyone's mouth or most people's mouths and move on. So 
2022, I don't think will be remembered as the best year in AEW history. There was a lot of good this year. The bad's going to overshadow the good. But I, from the all outward appearances, they are going to end things on a high note, thankfully. <laughs> 100%. Just to go back to, to MJF and Mox as well, did you see the clip of Blackpool coming out, the rest of the other three guys, Yes. Uh, to Moxley? I think the fact that that got out, I, I don't think it was a, an AEW account, but the way they played that too. So what ended up happening was all four of the Blackpool Combat Club are in the ring. Mox is kind of getting his wits all together. And they're explaining that it was Brass Knuckles. It was the two villains that had put this all together. You know, that's what happened. And you see Mox going from, like, disbelief to just pissed off, which is his character. Like, he handled it so well. So, it'll be very interesting to see. I'm actually interested to see what this does for Blackpool. There is some talk. Uh, and it it might just be the smart marks and everything like that, but they got too popular. They had all the belts, and now that the elite are back, the elite are you know pushing down those guys because none of them have uh-huh. any of the titles anymore. There is there's a little there's you know there's a little taste of that, um, but at the end of the day, whatever William Regal and MJF are going to do going forward, I hope that it's not that William Regal is going to be. MJF's manager because I don't think he needs it. I don't think that Blackpool anybody in Blackpool needed him, but it's I, it's a weird situation that I'm actually interested to see how it all plays out. Because I mean, at the end of the day, William Regal could easily explain to Blackpool like I did what I had to do in that scenario, and unfortunately, it it was at the expense of Mox, and for some reason, that actually makes sense with the vibe of Blackpool. Yeah, it doesn't even necessarily mean that that group is ending. Like right. you said, like there could be an explanation of him explaining to the rest of the group why Moxley had to go. Yeah. I, I love that, the, again, whenever you're in a situation as a wrestling fan where you can fantasy book multiple different directions for a given storyline path, yeah. that tells you they're doing their job right. By William Regal doing what he did, did he change any of his character to do it? So why would he not be accepted back into Blackpool other than the fact that he cost them a title, which I understand. But again, that group is all about kicking ass and taking names, as I stated in the past episode. Like, they should be running uh, ruckshot over the entire division. The, uh, whatever belt they wanted, they should have had, and they did. Um, yeah, it, it doesn't feel like he really turned on Blackpool. Which is no, weird because, because he did. That group, like Regal has always been the villain. Danielson has never stopped walking out from the heel tunnel. Right. He's never stopped flexing while having people in the triangle choke to end matches. Mm-hmm. It's Everybody like they've uses had that the stomp to the head. Like you're that's right. one of the Yeah. Like it's it's literally that idea, and I think MJF was quoted in an interview and in saying that, like, why just because I change from face to heel would all of a sudden my entire set of mannerisms change? Danielson's right. a perfect example of that. Mm-hmm. So I didn't think we'd uh, 
go about an hour with our thoughts on that pay-per-view. <laughs> I, was, I was looking at the time as everything was going, and I'm like, are we going to get to anything else? We are. So let's um, kind of breeze through the WWE and the old school portion of stuff. Um, WWE-wise, Survivor Series is this Saturday night uh, from Boston. They haven't done enough to convince me that I would want to go. But just going through the card, and then I kind of want your opinion on just your interest in the matches. Seth Rollins defending the U.S. title against Bobby Lashley and Austin Theory. No interest from me whatsoever. I almost don't need the rundown. I will say I'm I'm actually interested in what Austin Theory is doing just based on what they've done after the blunder of the cash-in. Mm. There's there's two things here that, uh, just to in the interest of time, Survivor Series still needs to be the 4-on-4, 5-on-5 as far as I'm concerned, and they don't have a match announced for Gunther and the Intercontinental title on one of their top four. The top four, as we've said, is WrestleMania, uh, Royal Rumble, Survivor Series, and SummerSlam. Mm-hmm. Those are those shows you need to highlight your big titles, your big um, your big wrestlers. They've got nothing for the Intercontinental title on this card heading into the weekend. That they is, might uh, announce something on Friday, but it'll feel kind of thrown together. It's a disgrace. Be the feeling. It's terrible. AJ and Finn Balor, like, bottom line is, if this was in New Japan, I'd be marking out. It's in a WWE context. It'll be a fine WWE-style match between two phenomenal wrestlers. I think both of them... I think both of them... Oh, one of the craziest things, too, AJ has not won a singles match in over two years. Is Is that true? They've been talking about it. I've seen it on social media. He has not won a singles match in over two years. Like on pay-per-view? Yeah, uh, just on TV. (laughs) Jesus. So Um, I don't like how they're booking AJ, but I think Triple H will allow them a little bit more grace to have an absolute banger than Vince would. You got Ronda and Shotzi for the SmackDown women's title. Don't care. not losing. It's a lame duck challenger. Yeah. the men's war game, Seamus, Rich Holland, still a terrible name. Butch, even worse name. Drew McIntyre and Kevin Owens against the bloodline. It'll be fine. Like, it'll be fine. It'll probably be I a think... good WWE war game style match like we had seen yes. the NXT brand put on before. This, and then this the women's. Be, that could lead back to an old school WCW war games vibe. Lots of blood spilled. Lots of beating each other up. That's going to be a physical, physical match. True. And then the women's uh, Bianca, Alexa, Asuka, Mia Yim, who I believe has a new name that's terrible. Michin. And two, and two be, yeah, <laughs> fucking hell. And uh, to be announced, which uh, is believed to be Becky Lynch against Bailey, yes. Dakota Kai, EO, Nikki Cross, Rhea Ripley. Like, like I said, it's just, it's not nearly enough for me to have, uh, been interested whatsoever in like attending, even though I easily could have. Um, yeah, I don't blame you. No, you know, and, I, and the, the one of the worst things with social media, as far as this pay per view goes, again, as I said before, you see all like the recaps, like on this day 23 years ago, or how like you had the, the creation, the, the debut of The Undertaker, you had amazing matchups. Uh, outside, like we even referenced, um, was it? No, it wasn't Bad Blood. 
mind games, Survivor Series mind games or whatever it was. Like oh, the rock oh, and the deadly games, 98. Deadly games, yeah. Like even that had a bigger feel, even though that was one of the first where they really got rid of the traditional Survivor Series matches. Um, that had a big, big pay-per-view feel. This feels like it's just another run-of-the-mill pay-per-view. I'm okay with this being like, you know, fast lane or <laughs> like one of those uh, filler pay-per-views. But this is fucking Survivor Series. Like, give us, throw everything in the kitchen sink at this uh, until Royal Rumble. Like, this is your WrestleMania for the next three months, and this is what you're giving us, and it's it's near garbage. No interest uh, in this pay-per-view at all. <laughs> that said, the final talking point I was going to have was uh, oh, a look sorry. back. Really, really quick. Where's Bray Wyatt? <laughs> We're not even getting the Bray Wyatt payoff of him coming back at Survivor Series like six months after you started White Rabbit. He'll like, have a segment. Holy crap. With I don't the want former another leader of Maximum segment. Male Models. Oh my God. I'm done with him talking. I want to see him fight. Let's get him in the fucking ring. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> So I was going to mention um, a couple of the today in history things, which we won't have as much time for. Um, there was uh, WCW presented World War Three in 1998. <laughs> Did you ever catch one of those events? And what, what are your thoughts on a, a three ring battle royal? Because uh, holy shit, those matches were a, a logistical nightmare. Yeah, I think the thing that uh, the real takeaway for me was the other matches that they had. Like you had like a one on one fight and there were two other rings that they couldn't use. <laughs> mm. <laughs> like just the just the visual. Um but I mean it was it was their attempt to top uh the Royal Rumble. Like this is their way of trying to top the Royal Rumble without doing the Royal Rumble, which I don't know if it worked. But yeah, like I said, the visual of like a tag team match or a just a one-on-one being there and there's two other rings just sitting there for the main event or whatever. Just, it looked weird. There was also, uh, in 2010 on this day, November 22nd, the day we're recording, The Miz cashed in his money in the bank to pin Randy Orton to become WWE champion. And The the Miz girl was born. (laughs) (laughs) Happy 12th birthday. There's there's another guy who has absolutely carried like anytime you've needed something, the Miz has always stepped up and been that guy. And I don't think even and I love the Intercontinental title. It has not been the same since uh, him and Dolph Ziggler. And I was going to say, Brian, like, I mean, the the promo, the the anniversary of the promo was recently the mm. uh, talking smack promo, which nothing really came of it afterwards. Like, it didn't elevate him at all. He did get one more championship run, but that was for two days. Right. So, or no, it was for a week, I think. A week or two, yeah. Yeah, because then something happened on Raw that led to Lashley the next week or something like that. Yeah. Uh, coming out. But, I, there's nothing The Miz could do right now other than murder somebody. 
that Johnny would... Gargano's momentum. Oof, Jesus, yeah. Because they, yeah, all the hype about Johnny Gargano coming back. He's stuck in a feud with The Miz, not on the pay-per-view, and he lost to Omos this past Monday on Raw in three minutes. Yep. Yeah, sorry, yeah. Hunter, you're not doing it for me. <laughs> yeah, the, we're invested, and you're taking it away from us. Thank you. You did mention this man earlier, and it is worth noting, on this date in 1990 at the fourth ever Survivor Series, it was the arrival of The Undertaker. Coincidentally, today is also the anniversary, uh, and 2015 was the 25th anniversary. That happened on this date. Um, if you'll remember, Kane and The Undertaker had a tag match. It was also the Survivor Series where Roman beat Dean Ambrose for the vacant title and then lost it to Sheamus on a cash-in. Yep. And uh, in 2020 was the 30th anniversary. All of these, 1990, 2015, 2020. You had the Taker debut, the 25th anniversary, and then the 30th anniversary two years ago on this date with the Undertaker's official final farewell. Um, Is that so where yeah, Kane came out? In, King King came out day. in costume <laughs> on Ross. <Yes. laughs> Everybody else was in street clothes. <laughs> and Kane comes out in his full gear. Oh, what an idiot. A big, big day for the history of the Undertaker character, which, you know, the the man behind the character has, you know, done a little bit, not so much like his uh, his brother in Destruction. Um, you know, the man behind the character has done a little bit to kind of affect how I view him and his legacy. But, I mean, there's no denying. I mean, we don't have to sit here and... You, know, you don't need to explain how amazing The Undertaker or Mark Calloway right. has been to professional wrestling. Right. It's just a a very, very uh, big day. It was just funny to me that all three of those dates or all three of those Survivor Series and not even the only Survivor Series. I think Survivor Series 2009 was on this day as well. Um, November 22nd lines up for a lot of Survivor Series cards. But with that, our, your favorite AEW podcast, I think, is winding down. <laughs> I, I, I don't blame us for going almost an hour talking about an amazing pay-per-view. It, it earned yeah. the time. Good shot at being the event of the year for a lot of different publications and stuff like that. I'm trying to think. And right now I've got nothing to, to dispute that. Yeah. It it was a phenomenal, phenomenal event. I'm intrigued to kind of see what the what the recaps happen to be. But for now, we can wind things down for this week's show. I'm sure next week we'll have more old school stuff to talk about. And we'll see if anything major happens at Survivor Series this weekend. That'll uh, get WWE some momentum back on this particular podcast for the sake of our discussions. Yeah, we, now, we don't necessarily like shitting on companies. No, <laughs> they just end up giving us, you know, fodder. So we do. Mm. Imagine that wrestling fans in 2022 are disappointed to see Johnny Gargano lose to Omos in three minutes on a raw. Still stupid. With that crash, what do you got going on, buddy? Not a whole heck of a lot. <laughs> I'm actually enjoying this more than uh, than any of the, I look forward to uh, recording with you. So uh, you can still catch me occasionally on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Crash Andrews on the Twitter at uh, twitter.com slash Crash underscore Andrews. Elon, 
I'll buy one of your blue check marks if you punt that stupid kid that's got Crash Andrews. <laughs> um, yeah, and then this, uh, we're we've got the Twitter at two uh, nd turnbuckle on uh, on the old tweet box, and is the place to be. You can follow me everywhere at Tugi twenty four. We will see you all next week. The question is whether or not Crash has. Oh, I got it. I got it. In addition to the outro. Take it away then, buddy. The final word, as always, goes to one. Bobby the Brain Heenan. North Dakota State? What do you got to do there to graduate? Milk a cow with your left hand?